You're listening to the Moms Working Overtime podcast, the community of women you've been searching to find for so long. We bring together our mamas in waiting, brand new moms, stay-at-home moms, working moms, and the moms who maybe just have a little bit more experience than the rest of us. We're all here for community, support, and finding ways to show up better for our families each and every day. I'm so grateful that you're here, and I hope you love what you find on today's episode. Welcome back to the Moms Working Overtime podcast for our Thursday interview series. And I think I say this every week, but I do mean it. (laughs) This might be the one I've been most excited for yet. And I was just telling my guests today that she's been on my list to interview since when I dreamed the podcast. So when I dreamed up the podcast, I wrote a list of about 10 people and I was like, this is who I want on the list. And she was on that top 10 and I've been holding back on asking her and doing this interview because I knew I wanted to do it right. You guys are going to get some amazing, amazing information and just an incredible story here today. I have my dear friend, mentor, mama, boss mom, Stephanie Lawler here with me. And Steph, I'm just so, so excited and grateful that you're here. Oh my gosh. I'm humbled to be here. And your intro is way too sweet. I feel very (laughs) honored that I have made the list. And you know, as I was prepping for this call, it is very humbling to me because I know that this is your audience. These are people that love you and respect you and come to this podcast and to you as a coach and a mentor seeking good, solid advice and perspective. And so it's really humbling for me to be able to come and do this because I'm definitely at a different stage in my life as a mom. But I think, and I hope that this is helpful and relevant to young moms because I didn't have this. I didn't have that next stage mom um, other than my own. And that relationship is always a little bit different. So I'm excited to be here and uh, excited to be able to to chat with you today and hopefully bring some some good information to your audience. Oh, without a doubt. You are that person for me. I'm sharing my person with my audience because (laughs) since the start, anyone who's listening, Steph is the person that I call when I'm like, okay, as a mom, I'm freaking out. Or, hey, you know, leaning into entrepreneurship. Steph, what the heck am I going to do? How is this going to work? How am I going to balance, you know, being present with my kids? She's my phone call when I'm in that moment. So I'm going to share her with you all today and you'll get to hear a little bit more about her story. But to get started, Steph, I would love for you to just introduce yourself, talk a little bit about you and let them get to know you. Yeah. So I am 48. I'm quickly approaching this next decade, which is both exhilarating and terrifying all at once. Um, I am a wife. I'm a mom of two. My daughters are 17 and 20. And my youngest is special needs. She's got cerebral palsy, intellectual disability, whole host of you know letters and diagnoses that don't really mean a whole lot of anything. But um, And I am currently a health and wellness coach. My background is education. I taught for 20 years, seven years in high school and 13 years in post-secondary. So I taught at a technical college. I coached cheerleading in my time of uh, teaching high school. It was English in both places. And I guess about eight years ago, I made the jump, made the transition out of formal education into this space. And it was just something that I had felt really called to do for quite some time. I just felt like I had kind of outgrown this traditional teaching. I knew I didn't really want to leave that all the way behind because it's so much part of my metal just woven into who I am but I wanted to figure out how I could use my own experiences as a mother, as a special needs mom, and how could I use that to help other women? And uh, a lot of you guys may not know this, but as a special needs mom, and we're going to talk about this later on, but as a special needs mom, there is 
just a lot to navigate. You don't have, just like any mom, you don't have a textbook for what this is going to look like, mm -hmm. but there are so many other parts that are very different from, you know, traditional motherhood that you just have to, to work through and figure out. And in the thick of all of that, around 20, I guess about 2008, in the thick of all of Neely's diagnosis, the potential that it wasn't actually cerebral palsy, but it could have been an underlying genetic condi condition that could have been life-ending, life-altering, uh, we really faced like massive crisis just as a family. We were going through you know, the, the whole mess that 2008 was financially, and we were in a lot of serious debt because we owned a lot of real estate. Um, you know, my, my husband lost his job and it was just really dire straits, the, the scariest, most stressful time. And when you have all of that stress coming in at one time, you know, you're a month away from bankruptcy and you owe millions of dollars in, you know, investment property where the banks are calling in these loans and your husband doesn't have a job. And, you know, you're, you're trying to navigate all of this really heavy, serious stuff with your child and not understanding or really knowing what the future is going to be. Um, I hit rock bottom and some of you guys may know this, some of you may not, but I contemplated suicide and really had an epiphany. My girls were the ones that saved me literally and metaphorically. It was a day where everything just kept coming, you know, and, and understand that this had been building over probably nine months. Every day it was another hit, another hit and, you know, really, really big, serious stuff. Um, and so at this very low point, I just decided that I wasn't doing any good here. And I've never been one to, to lean towards those types of thoughts. I, I never could even wrap my brain around the thoughts of ending my life, especially as a mom. Um, and I think that's good if you've never been in that space, because that means you've never been in this very low place of desperation. But I did have my moment and I was I was ready to do it. I had my plan right at that very moment where I was ready to take my life. I happened to look back and I was out on my back deck. And both of my girls were actually standing there at the door leading to the back deck. And they had their little baby hands there. I'll never forget. Hannah was probably five, white, white, straight blonde hair. And her little sister kneeling next to her, you know, bunches and bunches of brown curly hair. And I just remember seeing both of their baby hands pressed up on the glass. And they were laughing and smiling and had absolutely no idea where I was and what I was contemplating. Sorry. And... um it was in that moment that I looked back at them and it just all made sense. It all made sense that I could not stop fighting. I couldn't give up because I had these two beautiful little girls behind me. So I had to keep fighting all of this stuff that was in front of me. And that was it. I walked back inside. I dumped out every bottle of alcohol we had, every you know bottle of pills that we had. And I just decided I was going to have to turn it around. I was going to have to keep climbing and I was going to have to keep clawing my way back out to the light. And really that took me the span of a couple of years. I knew that the only two things, the only two things that I really knew were going to help get me out of that were my faith and the gym. And that sounds so silly, but I just felt like if I could go there and start rebuilding myself physically, I could rebuild that strength mentally and emotionally. And again, I leaned in a lot to my faith and it took me years, you know, but I'm on the other side of this now and can speak about it. And really, I think that that was, that was my turning point. And it was in that moment. And it's a moment that I hold on to. I never want to get so far away from that because I always want to, to be able to pull back to that moment and remember that there is a purpose in all of this pain and there's a purpose in the struggle and there's a blessing in the exhaustion, right? It's a privilege. It is in that moment. Sometimes it's really difficult to see, but that's really 
that's who I am now because of that experience. And it took several years to get back. I continued to, to teach, but it was that that allowed me to rebuild myself enough that when I was ready to make this jump out of education, I knew kind of what I wanted to do. I wasn't exactly sure what it was going to look like, which is the case for so many who decide to make a transition. I knew that I wanted to use all of that, all of that pain, all of that struggle, all of that despair and use that in a way to help someone else. Because I think that's the only way that any of this is purposeful and makes sense is you have to be able to find that purpose in the pain. That purpose really only comes from doing something good with that. And the only thing I could think was taking that and using that in a way to help other women. And so that was really my transition out of teaching and into this new space of health and wellness coaching is that I wanted to be able to help other women. I wanted to specifically be able to help other moms because what that whole period in my life was about was putting everyone and everything ahead of my own needs and wants physically, mentally, emotionally, because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Everyone mm -hmm. else first, everyone else first. And while we're drowning our heads underwater, but we're holding everyone else up. That's it. And it's a, it's a really dangerous slippery slope because what you don't realize is you think that that's the right thing to do. You think that it's this martyrdom and motherhood. And that's the way that it's supposed to be until you're at that place where you have nothing left. And then what? Right. Mm -hmm. So that was my turning point, realizing that I could take this and it wasn't immediate. I mean, I'm talking, it took me five years to be able to get to a place where I could be far enough away from it and objective enough away from it to take that and say, okay, I'm going to help teach other women to make themselves a priority, to affirm that it's not selfish to have needs and wants. And maybe that's needs and wants outside of motherhood and what that looks like and how to make any sense of it. But at the bare minimum, making sure that you're taking care of your health in mind, body, and spirit. And so that's really mm -hmm. where Warrior Fitness was born and, and kind of the evolution of where that's been over the last few years. We're like, what, five minutes into this podcast? They already know why I love you. They are. Oh, so <laughs> They're already like, this is going to be good. No, seriously, that is why you're here. And I want to tell you all in the audience that Steph will be back. I already warned her. I'm like, there's too many things we could talk about. But you're already getting a taste of why I look up to her in motherhood is you go through hard things and you take those things and let them drive you forward instead of letting them continue to drown you. And that's something that I've learned from Steph is there's always a way for it to work out, but you have to do that. You have to turn and look at your children and remember that they're your purpose. Remember that they are everything. They're the reason you get out of bed every single day and fight, even when you don't believe it, even when it doesn't feel great. And so there's so many different areas of value that she can share just because of her experiences. And Steph, I appreciate that you do share those experiences because I know as moms, especially I've done some interviews recently with moms who have gone through severe postpartum depression and anxiety and, and talked about wanting to end their life, not wanting their children. And as moms, I think we're afraid to share that we have those dark moments. And so for you to speak up, someone's going to listen and feel like they're not so alone because they've never heard it that way before. And so it means the world to me. There's so many different things that we could talk about, but something else I wanted to point out and why I love having Steph here is that we relate so strongly to our passion in women's health and helping you all when it comes to making yourselves a priority. Yes, we take care of our families. We pour ourselves into our children, but mama, you have to also make yourself a priority if you're going to show up best for them. And that's where I love what Steph does. And I love that she can be a mentor to me with moms working overtime as well. But before we dive into all the things, because we're going to go into detail on all those, I have the question that I ask every mom that comes on here, and I'm going to ask you as well. Before you were a mom, <laughs> I know sometimes I haven't even been a mom that long, and I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, things just felt like they were so different back then. But before you were a mom, 
who were you then? And if you compare the expectations you had for motherhood, do you feel like it's met your expectations that you're different than you thought you would be? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So before I was a mom, I was a wife. I was a coach. I was a teacher. I was a sister. I was a daughter. And what's so interesting to me is there's always such clarity when you can look at your life in reverse. When you can get to that place where you can start to look at it in reverse, all of those dots connect. And Mm -hmm. what you realize is none of that was ever by chance. None of it was ever just coincidental. It's all been there to prepare you for this role. And so when I think about the fact that I was a teacher, and interestingly enough, my first job was a high school teacher. I got um, a contract right out of my student teaching. So it was the same place I did my student teaching. And when I showed up on day one, my classroom was actually the only regular ed classroom in the special ed wing. I didn't mind it. I didn't know any different. I was just so thankful I had a classroom, right? That was <laughs> yeah. my own. And it's so funny to me that that's where my classroom would have been. Out of all the other teachers, out of all the English teachers, I got that one classroom that was in this entire wing of special needs students. Mm-hmm. And so obviously some of that was very, all of that was intentional to prepare me for life as a special needs mom, because I saw things and I was able to come into their classrooms and relieve the teachers if they had to use the restroom or something like that and be with these kids and very much be immersed in that world before I even knew that that was part of what it was preparing me for. And, you know, as a teacher and really as a coach as well, I taught in a very small rural community. I love that. It was such a blessing because I lived there as well. And so Mm -hmm. I was really into this culture and knew these kids and knew their families and had the brothers and sisters all down the chain. And at that time in education, even though it was public education, it was a sort of place that if you had an issue with a student, I would go next door to the teacher's lounge, get on the phone, call mom. And within 15 minutes, mom is standing outside my classroom, knocking on the door, pointing to her kid, like, let's go get out in the hall. (laughs) Man, I saw some things, heard some things where there's crying going on. And then the kid comes back in and never have an issue with that student ever. Back again. when kids were more scared of their parents than their That's teachers. That's it. That is it. Like <laughs> call, I will call your mom was the worst possible threat ever. <laughs> you know? So when I think back to those days, a lot of that really did help to prepare me as a mom. I was always that type of teacher that I wanted to, to know my students in all the ways. And they weren't just student ID number, or whatever, sitting in that desk. I knew about the things that were going on at home. I knew the things that they were struggling with. And because I taught English and it was a bit more, um, I don't know, we had a lot more creativity and ownership at that time in education. I got to do things where I did get to know my students as human beings, as mm-hmm. teenagers. That's such a pivotal, influential time in their lives. And obviously being able to develop that relationship with gosh, hundreds of, of student athletes over the course of my coaching career as well, having them to my house for pregame, going to their house for pregame and getting to know their families. I mean, my gosh, my cheerleaders threw my wedding shower. They threw us a wedding Aww. shower, you know, threw us a baby shower. They were there through all of those initial parts of my early adult life. And I think all of those things, all of those roles really did help expose me to a lot of different things, things from the student side, but also looking at different parents and how different adults chose to parent and what those parenting roles look like and sitting across a conference table with, with a mom who felt so defeated because she couldn't reach her son and it just didn't know how to get through to him and, and being able to look at those kinds of things, but also seeing the flip side of the parent I didn't want to be, right? The disengaged mm-hmm. parent or the one who never returned phone calls, the parents who never showed up to open house, who didn't know a thing about what was going on with their student in a classroom. And it helped me to understand 
what I wanted to be as a parent, what I didn't want to be as a parent. I obviously had great examples in my own family, but I knew that I wanted to be the, the, a, more of a disciplinarian. I, I wasn't really lining up with those parents who, I'm my kid's best friend. I didn't want to be their best friend. Yep. When they reach adulthood, it's a little bit different. My relationship with Hannah at almost 21 years old now is very different. And she is a, a, more of a friend relationship, but it's still a parental kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I knew that, that that's the sort of parent I wanted to be. I wanted to make sure that my kids were raised in love with, with boundaries and, and raising them as responsible humans, but showing that from the front and leading that by example. And it was the same way that I coached. I never, ever asked any of my cheerleaders to do anything that I didn't do right along with them. I trained in the weight room with them. We ran, you know, track work with them. We did stadiums. I did all that with them. I was jumping in there, spotting with them, helping them with stunts, like all of that. And and I think, again, those are the sorts of things that shape me to, to be the parent that I am right now. I think we forget that as moms. I, I always say you were perfectly designed for this role long before you probably even thought of motherhood. But I think that we forget about those small moments and the resilience and strength that they truly do give us that translate to what we experience now. Even just the patience or understanding, learning to stop and just say a prayer and and know that there's a greater sense of purpose <laughs> there. It's those little, I mean, I had one of those days yesterday with Carter, just had to stop was crying. I was like, I'm the worst mom ever. And I was like, nope, this is where you're growing. Like my relationship as a mom with him is growing today and it's going to be all right. But I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have that skill if I hadn't gone through hard things before. So I think that's absolutely true. What do you feel like it was about that teaching experience that made you decide to make the transition when you were thinking about that jump from teaching to starting your business and, and coaching? What flipped the switch there? You know, I was thinking about that um, as I was looking through our questions before this call. And I think it's very interesting because it's probably not the answer that you're going to expect. And it's probably not the answer that a lot of your listeners would expect either. When I made that jump out of teaching, that really had nothing to do with motherhood. It had nothing to do with my kids. It had everything to do with me. I feel very um, proud that I can make that statement because up until that point, there was very little in my life that I had done for me. I mean, I remember having a conversation with a friend and she's like, well, what do you want out of life? Like, what are your goals? And I literally could not answer other than get through the day successfully without a Mm -hmm. meltdown. That was as far as I could see. And she's like, no, like for you, like outside of motherhood, what do you want for yourself? Where are your passions? And I had no words. I was at a loss. I had never in my, you know, at that point, probably 10 years of being a mom ever thought beyond get up, go to my job, do the mom thing. Like I just had never thought about that. So, so many moms live that way though, Steph. They right. really do. Yes. And it, it, so if you haven't ever asked yourself that question and you're listening to this, I think you should, whether you are brand new into motherhood or you're further down your journey, what do you want? When I made the transition to teaching college, Hannah was one. And I first started off just doing that part-time. It was basically a a flip of of the the shift. Lane would come home from work. I would pass Hannah off. I would go taught mostly night classes, but I loved it because teaching was my passion. And as much as I love being home with her, it was nice to be able to step out of that door and be me, be Stephanie, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. Hannah's mom, right? So that slowly transitioned into a full time position. It wasn't ideal. Neely was four. And I kept thinking, oh, if they can just wait one more year until she's in school in kindergarten, that would be (laughs) ideal. But I also knew that those positions were few and far between and they hadn't had an English teacher opening in years. And if I didn't jump on it, 
wouldn't be there the next year. Mm -hmm. So I took it, we made it work and just kind of moved into that space where I was so blessed to have worked with a division chair. And to this day, I just think so much of him. He's one of my favorite human beings in the world. He wasn't, um, actually, he's younger than I am, did not have kids, wasn't married at the time. But when he hired me, I remember him saying, I will never ask you to put this job over your family. You always need to be a mom first. And I don't think at the time I understand, I don't think I understood how powerful that was or how- I literally have chills, especially for him to have that perspective without having children himself. That's actually incredible. It was huge. It's something that has never been lost on me, but as the years have passed, it's become- something that I hold on to more dearly than when he first made that statement. Mm -hmm. And he was a man of his word. He always worked with me to adjust my schedule. If I needed to teach more night classes so I could delay coming in in the mornings to get the girls to school, whatever that had to be, he was always so supportive of this role of motherhood. And I felt so blessed. So it wasn't really that I was in this job that I hated or it conflicted with motherhood and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. I could. Now, obviously there were there were chain of command that you had to go through. If I wanted to take a day off, I had to, you know, the whole mm-hmm. thing, right. Wasn't just like having your own business, but I do think I had a really good, um, I was in a really good spot and probably four or five years into that teaching career, I worked out a reduced contract and I was only a 10 month employee, which is something they had never done. I kept pushing for it and pushing for it. And finally they did, which was really nice because that was something they could then offer other parents who did take mm-hmm. advantage of that. So obviously my salary was reduced, but that allowed me to be home with my girls in the summer, because I knew, you know, oh, at that time I only had six more summers with Hannah. Yeah. Start thinking of it that way, right? 18 more Christmases or six more summer breaks. I might cry. It is. I can't think about that stuff. When you can put it into that perspective, I knew that that was worth taking a a pretty big reduction in my Mm -hmm. very meager salary already, but I knew what that trade-off was, right? Mm -hmm. And so at that point where I was ready to transition out of teaching, it wasn't that I had had a, a terrible job or that I, I felt conflicted between motherhood. I never did. I'm so, so blessed. And I, I feel like most mm-hmm. people probably don't have that. So when I made that transition, it was purely for me. I didn't feel like this was my passion anymore in this structure. I just really didn't feel like it was the thing that got me up and excited to go every day. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do or where this road was going to take me, but kind of going back to where we talked about in the beginning, I I knew that I wanted to take those struggle years and use them to help other people in a different way. Health and wellness had become really important to me and something that I was learning so much about through my own advocacy of my child and understanding just how the body works all together and, and being able to see the miracle that your kids hit these milestones and do the things that just happen naturally when you have a child that those things don't happen naturally for, really developing a big appreciation And so it started to become something that was um, more of a passion to me. How could I bridge these two? How could I still be a teacher? How could I help other mothers and also get into the health and wellness space? So all of a sudden the light bulb went off. Okay, I can be a personal trainer, health and wellness coach. And so I got my NASM and I started doing that part time. That last year that I was teaching, I I was doing both. I was working in a gym and it was such a great experience because I had the opportunity to help all shapes, all sizes, all ages from a 12-year-old boy whose mother signed the two of them up for personal training because he was morbidly obese and was being Mm -hmm. bullied at school. 
and really felt poorly about himself. And so I got to train the two of them together to an 80 year old man who was post stroke and literally just wanted to be able to walk over a step and ambulate without being a fall risk and everything in between. So I loved that experience. And when I finally made the transition fully out of teaching, I thought that that would be it. I thought I would just work in a gym and do my personal training, but that kind of became not enough for me, right? I, I was like, I didn't leave to work for someone else who's going to dictate <laughs> hours and splits and all of this other stuff. And so that was where I really jumped off. But, you know, getting back to your question, that transition out of, of education, formal education was for me. It was something mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And I think it took me that long and to, to have evolved that far to be able to make that decision for me. So, you know, kudos to younger moms who figure that out way before I did, but you know, you, you get to it when that time is right for you. Well, and if I had to guess, you had a harder time prioritizing motherhood after you now owned your own business <laughs> than you did when you were teaching, because sure. I know you and I know our conversations. This is something you're really good about calling me out on is you have to establish boundaries from day one because you didn't go to owning your own business so that you could spend less time with your kids. And I love you for, I actually, the, Steph is in the back of my mind all the time. You know, I'll be tempted to schedule like a seven o'clock meeting, which is bath and bedtime. And I'm like, nope, she would be so mad at me because that is not why I did this. <laughs> and so I do set those boundaries with you in mind, but how did you get to that point? Because I know when you made the jump, it's, your nature to go all in and give everything you've got and run yourself into the ground. So how did you start to set boundaries then after you transitioned to entrepreneurship? And to be truthfully honest, I didn't have any boundaries in those first few years of that transition. Mm -hmm. That's exactly why I'm so steadfast on them now. And, and so adamant about teaching that to others because I didn't, it was okay. I'm starting this business. I don't have a business degree. I don't have a degree in finance, marketing, any of those kinds of things. And now I have to learn all that and I have to to mm -hmm. do all this. So it was very overwhelming. And I am the kind that if I have my mind set on something, I'm going all in. It is miss mm -hmm. a lot. I accomplish that. And it's more difficult for me to pick my head up and look around and realize that there's other, other things going on, other parts of life that I need to attend to and be present in. So I think if anything, people need to learn from me. <laughs> Any <laughs> of those boundaries that have come have come because I didn't have them. I didn't do it right. I stopped putting my needs first. I stopped putting my family first. It was yes to everyone else, the same as you mm -hmm. talking about. Sure, I'll do client calls at any time of day. And oh, you're on the West Coast, so you're several hours behind. Okay, yeah, I'll do a call at eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night. And you know, I was very blessed at that time. My husband had done his own entrepreneurship journey, and this was my turn. I think sometimes though, we can take advantage of that and we can just expect that that understanding is going to be there and continue to be there. And you can start to really take advantage of that. And that's exactly what happened to me. It was nights, weekends, holidays, every vacation. And I had a turning point. This was probably two or three years into this transition into owning my own business on spring break. And I remember I was getting up early to work before the kids got up and before our day was going to start. And I'm staying up really late at night to wrap up so I could have that midpoint in the day to be with my family. And I remember sitting there at the kitchen table, everybody's eating breakfast, getting ready to go to the beach. And I'm on my phone. And I remember Neely looked at me as we're trying to get, what's the schedule like for the day? And she said, she was only probably seven or eight at this time. And she said, oh no, it's okay. Mommy has to work today. 
And it absolutely gutted me mm-hmm. to have a seven or eight year old who probably intellectually was more four or five years old already see that and be accepting of the fact that mom wasn't going to be able to participate in that day's spring break events because she had to work. And it absolutely just, like I said, it gutted me. It was what I needed to hear. And again, that time where my kids have saved me. I just thought, what am I doing? And yeah, I'm super proud of everything I've built on the business side without that grit and without that commitment and dedication, I wouldn't be where I am right now. But if I continue on this path, I won't have anything but that. And am I okay with that? Am I willing to forfeit my family, my relationships for this? And it was at that moment where I thought, no, absolutely not. I have got to start making some changes. It was very difficult, more difficult for me than for my clients when I have to start blocking off times that I'm unavailable and mm-hmm. not being available during dinner time, during bedtime, having a hard stop to the day where that's it. I'm, I'm done with work that has to be put away for right now. I'm not going to pick that back up till tomorrow. Really more difficult for me. I never had any pushback with clients. I never had one client say, this is garbage that I can't schedule <laughs> for you at 10 o'clock at night, right? It's, it's this <laughs> pressure and this... Um, this expectation, I think a lot of times we put on ourselves. And so through that, I have really developed pretty big boundaries. I have learned that I am to that place where I will always put my family first. And anyone who doesn't understand that, anyone who gives me pushback, I'm not working with that person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's not meant to be. Um, I have also learned that if I don't put myself and my health and my needs first, I'm going to go back to where I was in 2008. And again, I always keep that close enough in my mind that I have that to pull back to and remind me of what that low pl- low point looked like. Something else that I wanted to share with your audience is this understanding that not everyone deserves access to you and not everyone deserves even an equal access to you. And that's where I was really getting it wrong. I was giving prioritization and access to a person that sent me a message on Instagram, the same as someone who was paying for one-on-one coaching, the same as my child. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any kind of hierarchy or understanding because I did want to be available. And that's all you hear is you have to be available. You have to go the extra mile, all of these things. And so you start to believe that everyone does deserve that even an equal access to you. And they don't. And friends and friendly are two very different things. Mm -hmm. And in this world where we're all very engaged because of social media and we feel like we really know people and we're privy to the inner workings of their lives we think that we know them and we think that we're friends with them when in reality, that's such a facade. You're not at all. And so trying to set those boundaries and understanding that your job, the professional associations you have, your partnerships, you will always just be a business partnership to those people. Even the ones that treat you like family and that community is so close and so tight. Understand at the end of the day, you are replaceable. I remember when I left teaching feeling like, oh my gosh, this technical college is going to shut down. Everything's going to fall apart. It's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Their remedial English program is going to be done for. I have held that thing together. Well, guess what? Eight years on the other side of it, they are still running strong (laughs) without me being there because that's our own ego. And that's our own. It's so true and humbling though. It It really is. is. It is. And that's, that's admirable because it means we care and We want to pour value into those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, in all of those other roles, you are replaceable. You're not replaceable as a mom. Absolutely. I I would say, and I don't mean to demean the holy sacrament of marriage, but I would, I would say that as a wife, to some extent, you're replaceable. 
We see people get remarried all the time. My mm -hmm. dad's one and just as happy now with his new wife as he was with my mom. But I will tell you right now, that role of mother, you can never replace it. You can never replace it. And so understanding that and really hearing that has helped me create these healthy boundaries in all parts of my life. And so much of that comes from fixing our mindset, whether it is struggling to set those boundaries or struggling to prioritize. I really do think we create so much of this in our own heads. And that's a, that's where I think it's so powerful as moms to start to understand the way they think and why they think that way and understanding the things they've been through that make them think that way. Because once you can decide what your boundaries are and be confident in them, a lot of moms tell me they struggle to communicate them. And I'm like, well, you don't feel confident enough in your boundaries then because once you start to feel confident in where you stand, it gets a lot easier to just tell someone, hey, this is how it is. There's no talking in circles or being apologetic. And I think that's where so many moms struggle. You know, I tell my one-on-one -on -one clients, I'm like, you will not find me in our app between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. That is get my son from daycare, be present with him, bath time, bedtime. Like that is our special time. And you shouldn't be in there either because you should okay. be with your families. And, you know, <laughs> once we have that understanding, it's like, okay, you're right. Cool. Again, like you said, no pushback. Yeah. And setting those. And like you said, being very clear in that communication of them without feeling the need to overexplain, just mm -hmm. simply state them objectively is so powerful. And it's the same thing. I tell my clients that I'm available from nine o'clock in the morning on Eastern time, Unfortunately, I don't, it doesn't matter where you live and how that falls with your time zone <laughs> from 9 a.m. until about 8 p.m. And I have those pockets of time in between where I'm not available. And same thing. It's never been an issue. No one's ever had a problem with that. And in the rare circumstance, someone would. Then again, I don't think that we're meant to work together then if that's something that can't be respected. But I also think that sometimes moms forget about those boundaries internally, right? We forget about the boundaries with kids and some hear that and they're like, what do you mean? I, my kids are everything. I understand that. But it's also okay to have boundaries with kids. I mean, one of the things that I have is when I'm taking a bath at night, that is one of my simple pleasures in life. A good cup of coffee in the morning. I like to take a hot bath at night. When those bathroom doors are shut, do not come in that bathroom. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> at 17 and 20 years old, I'm still trying to help <laughs> understand this boundary. We're getting better. There is hope, mamas. But it's okay to have those boundaries with your kids too. It's okay to say these 15 minutes that I'm taking a bath, that's time for me. Mm -hmm. And unless there's some massive emergency that the other parent cannot handle, do not come in these doors and you feel awful and you feel cold and you have all that mom guilt that you're dealing with. But what are you doing if you don't have those boundaries? You're teaching your kids to not have boundaries either. Exactly what I was going to say. Right? So they need to understand being able to confidently express that they need this time or they're not comfortable with something, whether that's with other kids or mm -hmm. a sibling, we have to do a better job of, of really exemplifying that and expressing our needs to help set those boundaries. And that has to happen within the household for sure. That's when you, someday you get some type of full circle moment where maybe Hannah's got three college roommates and she communicates to them, Hey, every single night, I like to do this for 10 minutes. And I, I, I need my solitude for that. And that's a full circle moment that she that learned is. from mom. And you didn't even think of it that way, but you get to now, see I've it. I've seen that happen around. a lot too with Neely because in that she's special needs, there are times where things get really stressful and chaotic. Hannah's home now from school and she brings her big personality and she's loud and she has a dog. <laughs> and all of a sudden we've gone from this kind of quiet space, peaceful um, <laughs> environment to, it's a lot. And it makes me really proud that sometimes she'll just say, 
I'm going up to sit in my room for a few minutes or I'm coming downstairs. She likes to come and sit in my office sometimes. And mm -hmm. I, I just, I need those few minutes. And it's been hard for other people to understand that her sister will say, come on, that's ridiculous. Sit up here with us. And I'm like, no, 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 no. She yep. needs the time. We have to be respectful. I'm so proud that she can express that and communicate that we have to respect that. Right. And so it is that full circle moment where, wow, maybe all those years when I'm saying, do not call me when I am at the gym, I'm not answering the phone or picking up the phone because Hannah doesn't pay attention or listen anyway. And I'm literally like, <laughs> hello, what do you need? Nope. I got to go. And I would literally just hang it up and put the phone away. Right. Yep. So those things, you know, we laugh now, but I would always feel terrible in that moment, mm -hmm. but you stop feeling less terrible because you understand how important that is that you will be a better mom. If you take that time, you will be a better mom. If you have those boundaries of things that you need, but the better part of it is that's what you're teaching your kids and what, you know, what a wonderful lesson to carry through young adulthood, because I think so many of us didn't grow up with those kind of boundaries. And even in our forties, we're still struggling to tell people no, or to hold that line. And gosh, I wish mm -hmm. I had had that sort of lesson earlier in life. Yes. I love that. So with, with Neely's journey and being a special needs mom, that brings a whole different type of obstacle. And I know this, and I'm actually interested for, to hear you talk about this. This is probably what we talk about least. And <laughs> it's actually something that's probably made you the mom that you are more than anything. So what would you say have been, or would be the biggest obstacle or biggest obstacles that you've overcame in that area of your life? I think the biggest, the biggest obstacle is that it's not about me. It's not about what I can handle. And that was a tough one because I am very emotional and so much of this journey just drains you emotionally. But what I have had to constantly remind myself is this isn't about what I can handle. Okay. Maybe I can't handle waiting for six weeks on these, this whole battery of genetic testing to mm -hmm. know if CP is a firm diagnosis or if it's something else, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I can handle this or not. I have to, because it's what she needs you know, so, so many times we talk about putting ourselves first and I do firmly, obviously believe that, but in this world of special needs motherhood, I've really had to separate from that emotional part between how do I feel and what does she need? Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't have my moments and sit with those feelings, but I do. And then I have to pack them up, have my cry about it and say, okay, now what do I need to do? What needs to get done to best advocate for her? And I think the other biggest lesson I've learned is that no one's really going to understand this journey and that's okay. Even other people with special needs kids, there's such a broad spectrum of what that looks like. And so it can feel very isolating. I marched through most of, of motherhood, not having any kind of support system. And I did that intentionally. I really didn't want to join any of these special needs communities or um, like, you know, groups because I had been in some of them online and it's just a lot of people moaning and groaning and complaining or sharing worst case scenario, mm -hmm. which I certainly didn't need any of that because I'm already my own worst enemy in that way. And so I really never had any kind of support system from other special needs parents to, to go through that with. And it did feel really isolating because we never really fit in. You know, she didn't fit in with the typical kids her age, but she also a lot of times didn't fit in with the severely um, disabled kids either. She mm -hmm. kind of vacillates a little bit in the, in the middle. Right. And so there are a lot of things that 
just felt very isolating. So I think that that's probably some of my biggest obstacles that I felt really alone in that journey that no one else really could understand. It's not that my friends and family weren't empathetic, but they really can't understand what that's like. And they weren't in the trenches with you. Right. And, you know, I think that the biggest lesson, and this is probably one for every parent on, on every front is that you have to learn that you have to fight and advocate for your child, no matter what, and to whomever schools, doctors, insurance companies, you have to fight. And I never wanted to be that bear of a mom until I had to be. And now I'm fully confident to go in and say, no, I don't agree with that at all. I'm not giving my child this medicine or we're not going to do this, or I would like to try this. And mm-hmm. I'd love to align with, um, with practitioners who hear me. That's been obviously more in the integrative kind of holistic space, unfortunately, not to say that we don't have great traditional medicine. We certainly do, but understanding that I have a voice too, as a mom and what I think matters. And again, if someone doesn't appreciate that, then I'm going somewhere else, you know? And in my early years, I didn't have that confidence to say that. I just trusted a lot and said yes a lot, even though in my gut, I didn't feel like it was the right move to make. And so I think that that's probably been a big obstacle too, is finding that courage and that confidence to trust what I think as as a mom is best for my child and hearing other people taking professionals opinion into consideration. But at the end of the day, understanding that I'm the one that gets to make that decision for my child, whether it's in a school or in a medical setting, you know, or, or anything else on the periphery. Well, in complex diagnosis or not, you have the motherly instincts for her and you have those on purpose. And I think so many moms ignore them when it is something in that space with a diagnosis or maybe just something they're not as knowledgeable in, they just fold. And it's right. like, no, 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 no. Those instincts are on purpose. <laughs> They're there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's put there, you know, by design for mm-hmm. sure. So what advice would you give to a mom who's maybe early on this journey, whether it's receiving a diagnosis in utero? I know I've done an episode on that, um, with my friend Ashley, or maybe just a few years in and still just trying to figure it all out. You know, I would say just piggybacking on that part of the conversation is trust your gut. Any time I have ever had a gut feeling about something with my girls, I've always been right. Always. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes, like you said, we're very dismissive of that or we're made to feel crazy or we have people in our life saying, oh, no, don't worry about it. They're fine. They're fine. I mean, for forever. My mother-in-law is like, there's nothing wrong with Neely. She's fine. She's fine. I had a, a neighbor, kind of that next stage mom. She's fine. You know, she's fine. I'm like, but she's not. And I don't think she is. And so I know you're saying that to try to comfort me or be supportive, but that's not really supportive because you're making me feel like I'm crazy and I'm invalidating. Yeah. It's very invalidating. Exactly. So I think that's the first piece of advice. And I would say that kind of goes along with that is be careful who you seek advice from. You know, it's, it's very natural to want to ask other people and get other people's opinions, but you really have to be mindful of who you're asking. um, Because we don't all raise our kids the same way. We don't all have the same values. We don't have the same kids. So even if you find someone with the same values and you guys are parenting the exact same way, every kid is so different, right? So you have to be careful of that. And another thing that this, this is something that I think about all the time, and it really breaks my heart for new moms is comparing your journey or being so influenced by what you see on social media. (laughs) It's, yeah. It's a huge reason that young moms struggle. (laughs) I'm so, so thankful that when my girls were growing up, that wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. I I am so thankful. I really am. 
because I look at things that I see now on social media and I just think, gosh, if I was seeing this as a new mom, I don't know where I would be, not mm-hmm. in a good space. And it's it's not to say that there aren't good things on social media and you can't use it for good and connection and networking and, and information and all of this, but there's so much of it that I think is, it's just unrealistic. You know, when I see these new moms and they're in the gym at four days postpartum, even though they're just doing a little bit or lightweight and I see that and I think, my God, I couldn't even get out and go take a walk without feeling mm-hmm. like purse was going to fall out four or five still weeks. Still in a diaper. Them, right? Like <laughs> I'm still in the mom underwear with the big diaper in here. And, I, and you are, and I was very active throughout my pregnancy. I mean, I was working out with my cheerleaders mm-hmm. in the weight room up until the, the ninth month. Right. So it wasn't like that. That wasn't my standard where I was coming into this thing, but I just think, gosh, if I would have seen that, if I would have had all of that exposure, it really would have affected me. I think I would have been very depressed. I would have felt really inadequate as a mom. And it's hard to not compare to those kinds of things. These people that you look up to, or, you know, you feel very connected to them in some way. And then you see those sorts of things. I think that it's got to be really hard. And so I think that that would be another piece of advice to new moms is just get off of social media completely or be really, really careful the amount of time that you spend and the kinds of things that you see. And just always remember that your journey is your own and you can't compare that to what someone else is choosing to show, right? And there are a lot of things that I think people do show that are wildly unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from just from a medical perspective, I, I don't think that it's healthy. I'm not saying that you have to sit on the couch for the first six weeks and never move a muscle. You know, there's there's a happy medium, but again, everyone's journey is very different. I labored with Hannah for probably 36 hours. My postpartum experience was really tough. It mm-hmm. was very, very difficult. I don't think I even realized it at the time because you just don't know any better, right? You don't have anything to compare it to. Nothing, nothing. That's exactly how my delivery with Carter was. Yeah, looking <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going into the second time because the first time was so easier. hard. Much easier. That baby's just going to come right on out. <laughs> it really was. But yeah, I think, I think that those would be my pieces of advice. You know- It's so interesting because so my Monday night episodes in the pep talks for moms, I bet once a month I circle back to social media intentionally because I think we need that reminder so often that she is choosing what she shows you on social. And I think that's what we forget when she shows you the beautifully clean kitchen and the kids in matching outfits like that's not 24 seven. Absolutely not. She cries. Her house is a mess. Like things are a total disaster, just like any other mom. But we forget that. And I also remind the moms that they have the power to use the unfollow button, use the mute button. Please do that. I think Sometimes we just feel like it has a stronghold on us and it's like, unfollow it. You're, you're just addicted to looking at it, but it's absolutely trashing your mental health. And it is, I, I say this and it always feels hypocritical because I don't know, but I'm like moms of a few decades ago, in my opinion, had it so much easier from the standpoint of comparison because they didn't know what anyone was doing unless they were across the street. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it. I had, I had no idea. I didn't know what any of this looked like, how other moms were doing it, other than those that were in my closest circle. And even that was, I couldn't see it on a phone. I would have to physically hear it from them or go <laughs> witness it myself, right? Yep. And and so I, I do, my heart really feels for moms in this generation because that was just something we didn't even have as a, a concern or worry. I mean, Google was hardly a thing. I mean, I, I wrote a post about it 
all I had was my mom and the what to expect when you're expecting book. Yes. That's all I had. I didn't have Dr. Google to look things up at the time. Um, so as much as we feel like those are such wonderful pieces of technology and they can be, there's, there's also a pretty big detriment to those as well. Mm -hmm. How do you in your own life block out, not even just social media, but in general opinions and expectations of others? How do you shut all that out and just grow your own confidence as a mom? You know, I'll be very honest. I think a lot of that just comes with time and age and experience. Things did bother me in my, in my late twenties and early thirties that I don't even think about now at 48. It's just so different when you kind of mm-hmm. get to that place. And so I really do believe a lot of that just comes with time. It comes with time. It comes with age. It comes with experience. I think that some of that though, is remembering that you don't have to share it all that if you do, the more you share, the more you're opening yourself to the opinions of others. And so I've made a big shift. And even in my social media over the last five years, I really don't share a lot about my family. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And that's intentional. Um, some of that is that I have two teenage girls and I'm very mindful that one of them is off on her own. And it would, you know, if I'm giving all this information, it would be very easy for someone to find her. She's dealt with some kind of scary things. So I don't want to to put her in any place of danger and my younger one as well, especially in that she has special needs. Mm-hmm. You know, those kids are already at huge risk for uh, sexual abuse for, you know, just anything that, that is dangerous because they don't understand so much as a, a typical kid does. Right. And so I've allowed that part of my life to be private. And it's not that I have anything to hide. It's just that I use my social media as a way to market myself and market my business. And yes, I want to share my experiences of motherhood, but I also understand that when you do those kinds of things, you do open yourself up to the opinions of everyone. And it's always so disgusting, fascinating, whatever you want to call it for me. If I, even something as simple as show a a before and after picture, right? Show myself at my lowest point mentally, which was obviously my lowest point physically as well. And I was never 50, 60 pounds overweight, but I was not in a good space. And every time I show that before picture to where I am currently, they're always the haters that say, I think you look better before, you know? And it's like, wow, (laughs) you can't win. You can't win. And so I think you just start to become very choosy about the things that you share and who you share them with. The more you share, the more you are opening yourself up to, to those opinions. So you do just keep that circle very close. And again, understanding that being friendly with people and being friends with them, that has to be a a huge line in the sand and making sure that with those healthy boundaries, you are keeping those kinds of things to the, the people that you do value their opinions, right? keeping those things away from people that you don't. There's a a saying that I keep in mind when it comes to this. Don't give uh, the weight of an opinion to someone who bought a bleacher seat the same as someone that's on the field with you. And I always think about that when, because it is social media. I mean, I know sometimes a DM will come in and I'm like, oh, I really want to let that bother me. Like, where did that even come from? But I'm like, no, that's a bleacher seat. I need to not think about a bleacher seat right now. (laughs) Yeah. And I've, I've become really confident with just blocking and deleting. Yes. You know, I even get into the first line of a DM and it looks negative to me. I just delete it and I block Done. it. I don't even open myself up to that. Just move right on to the next thing. Yep. Well, let's shift to talk about business because I know that that's one of the last things I wanted to pick your brain about today and everyone she'll be back. I know she will eventually. <laughs> we'll, we'll have her back on to dive deeper into some of this, but when it comes to starting your business and 
really choosing or I guess moms feeling like they have to choose between their passion and their children. And this is where so many moms, I think, end up in that situation we talked about where I don't really have a dream for myself. I've never really thought about putting myself first in any area. So what advice would you give for a mama that feels that conflict and just her starting to build a life that does chase that passion, but also, you know, you have your babies in your lap and you're able to show up as a mom. I think the biggest the biggest part of that is that you can do both. You don't have to leave one behind for the other. And I think that's where a lot of moms, including myself, got it wrong. I didn't leave my teaching job, but I certainly let that fall to the back burner. My own needs fall to the back burner. Any dreams that I had for myself gone, right? Because I was throwing myself so fully into motherhood. And yes, that is absolutely the most important role that I will ever play. The one that deserves you know, the greatest attention. However, it's always at what cost. And that's part of why I didn't quit teaching when I had Hannah. I took a, a year off, but I knew that that was something I love. That was ingrained in who I am as a human being, as a woman. And I didn't want to leave that behind. And it's really easy to feel guilty in that. I was living in a place where there were tons of stay-at-home moms. It was a new neighborhood, a ton of stay-at-home moms, all of these play groups, right? And Again, didn't have the influence of social media, but I did feel that pressure even without that. And I felt like, gosh, I am such a, you know, I'm such a horrible person that I want to keep that part of who I am, that I do want to go back to work. And I became creative. Like I said, I first just worked in the evenings. So I wasn't really missing any part of, of momhood. Hannah was in bed by the time I left or shortly thereafter. And then it was, you know, hours where they were at mother's morning out, you know, kind of being creative with the mm -hmm. scheduling of that. But I think that it was just so important to me because I felt like everything else was now for everyone else. And it was really important that I held on to one thing that was me. And so I think a lot of times we can kind of get lost in that, that we're this person's wife, this person's mom, and our own identity just goes away. Mm -hmm. And at some point, understand that your kids are going to leave you. <laughs> They're going to go off and do their own thing. And then what's left? And then what is left, you know, and it's not to say that you shouldn't throw everything into being a mom. I think you should give it your all, of course. But when that part of your life starts to transition and it happens so much faster than you think it's going to, what are you left with? What do you have that's yours? And I think it's really interesting because I see a lot of moms in my age range who are empty nesters and they're miserable. Because this is all they've ever done and all they've ever known since they have been a mom and they let those other things go and they have nothing that's for them. They have nothing that drives a passion. And so I think that you just have to be creative. And listen, if your calling is to be a mom and you want to quit and you want to go full-time stay-at-home mom, great, do that, go all in. But that doesn't mean that you still don't have things that you enjoy as a woman and mm -hmm. don't let go of those things. If that's a workout, if that's, going to get your nails done once a week, if that's lunch with friends once a month, whatever that is, I think it's so important to still stay connected to the things that you loved as a woman before you became a mom. And it's really easy. And it's almost like we have this mom amnesia that as soon as we pop that baby out, we forget what any of those things were. Mm -hmm. And it's it's easy to get so caught into the day-to-day the -day of motherhood and how exhausting it is and how how demanding it can be that we can forget those things. And I would just say, don't forget those things and don't feel guilty. I was a better mom because I was working outside of my home, right? And then inside my home, I've been a better mom and, and partner because of that, because I needed to hold on to that, that thing that was me. 
That's mm-hmm. always been something very important to me. It wasn't always for financial reasons. It wasn't, you know, for any other reason than this was something I wanted to hold on to. Um, and, and I think the other part of it that's been really comforting to me is understand that there's really no decision that can't be reversed. So if you think you're going to go back to work and you do it and you give it a year and you're miserable and you cry every day on the way and you're crying every night at home, you know, then maybe get creative. Could you work online? Could you go a hybrid schedule, right? Is there some way you can do that if that's what you still want to do? Mm-hmm. So don't ever feel totally locked into something. Even if you're a contracted employee with a state like I was, you can you can change those things. You have the power to change those things. And, and nothing is really forever in that way. And I think we get afraid to make those jumps or to, to ask for those kinds of things that might be good for us because it's just the system. It's just the way it is. There were no 10-month contracts when I was teaching until I said, this is something I want. Please, is there any way we can make this? I understand you can't pay me my full salary. I only want 10 months of my salary, <laughs> right? Like, but can we make this happen? And because I push for that, I am proud that that's now an option for other parents who want to take that route, right? But I think it's just most important for moms to understand that you don't have to choose between those two. You don't have to give up one for the other. They can coexist. You might have to get a little creative. But the other thing to remember is this space that you have as a mom and this part that's where they're so dependent on you, it is the blink of an eye. It goes away so fast. And then they're in school and you have that huge block of time where they're with someone else, right? And then they get into sports and now it's school and sports after school, right? By the time Hannah was in high school, I literally would see her for 20 minutes in the morning mm-hmm. and we'd have a couple hours together at night when she was home from swim practice and that was it. And man, now she's almost 21 years old and I'm so thankful when I do have any, like she could ask me any time of day to do something and I would drop everything because that's all I get anymore. And as much as it was just agonizing to have those long days or sitting at the pool all weekend long, watching her swim in the blink of an eye, it's done. And you would give give anything to go back to that, right? So it's this fine balance of holding on to those things that you feel passionate about while coexisting as a mother, but just understand at some point they're gone out from your home and they don't need you in the same way that they need you right now. And I think there's, you will have those feelings of kind of emptiness and that void there if you don't really try to hold on to the things that you love and you're passionate about that you need for you. And they are going to look different in every season too. I think that's important to acknowledge that even for you, a workout in the season where she had all day, you know, swim tournaments or you're chasing, you know, school drop-offs, pickups, sports, a workout in that season may have been a 20 or 30 minute home workout. And that's, that was for you. And that filled your cup. A workout in this season might be an hour or two in the gym by yourself with your, you know, listening to your podcast or your music and just getting immersed in it. But it's still the same thing that you were able to use to fill your cup and make that a priority. I think a lot of the moms that come talk to me think that they have to have this massive block of time where they're uninterrupted, where it's just a hundred percent for them. And I'm like, mama, 10 minutes is powerful. <laughs> 10 minutes a day can get so much done, whether it's working yes. on a passion project or exercising or listening to a podcast, that's all it takes. And you just feel so much better. <laughs> that's it. And and something is always going to be better than nothing. And you know, those seasons have changed for me as much as I can create that time now to go spend an hour and a half in the gym. I don't. 
because that part of my life isn't as important as it was. And that's, Mm -hmm. that probably sounds really like hypocritical or contradictory as a health and wellness coach, but I used to go spend an hour and a half in the gym every single night. Now, granted it was at nine 30 at night when everything else was Mm -hmm. done, but I don't want that for myself anymore. I want to be healthy, but I mean, to be brutally honest, most of my workouts are 30 minutes, three to five times a week in my garage, right. With what Mm -hmm. I have there. One of my most favorite things to do is go take my walk every single morning. 45 minutes. I don't answer any messages. I won't schedule anything. It's why I said I can't do this call until 10 o'clock because <laughs> and I love I that on firm to that time because that is so important to me, you know? So I think that it's also okay to understand that you keep those baseline things. You keep those baseline habits, right? Feeding my body well, prioritizing my sleep, getting movement in, taking my supplements, making sure I drink plenty of water. Those baseline things are my lifestyle. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter what season I'm in, but the execution of that looks different sometimes. And that's okay. It's not every day where I'm logging my food and counting my macros. Some days it's, did I get in enough protein? Did I do the mental calculation of that? Great. I'm set there, right? Yep. Okay. I was sick, sick as a dog for the last week. I haven't, I haven't lifted in over a week. And as much as I wanted to do that, I'm, I, you got to play it smart because I knew if I pushed myself, then this sickness that was a week long would be two weeks long. So it was just a walk and having to make peace with that and know that, no, I'm not going to lose all progress, but I still prioritize that time. I still mm-hmm. kept that habit. Right. And I think a lot of times we forget how to do those kinds of things where we prioritize ourselves as a mom. It's just stealing those little pockets of time for you. And like you said, yes. maybe 10 minutes, maybe it's a, a 10 minute bath at night where you can just have that time to decompress and be quiet and be alone. Maybe it's your morning and evening routine. Um, you know, whatever those things are, they're going to change in these seasons of your life and that's okay. Right. But hold on to those baseline things where you can stay healthy in mind, body, and spirit. Remember it's all three. You have to be okay and and check in. And I know you coach your moms Mm -hmm. in the same way that I coach my clients. It's not to me so much about, Hey, did you lose two pounds this week? It's how are you doing up here? So much more than that. How are you doing in your heart? Right. We have to look at all of those parts. And I think again, that's where some of the downside of social media is, where we're just looking at the physical shell. We're not absolutely. I mean, sometimes I, I look back in places where I look the best and my body composition was the best. I wasn't doing good in my heart. I wasn't doing good in my head. And I think in that way, I've, I've come to, to be at this next season of my life where it's not about, you know, having a six pack of abs anymore. I want to be healthy. I want to live as long as I can for my kids, but it looks different now than it did. And that's okay too. I love that. Well, Let's bring it all together. I have one final question and then I want to give you a chance to just share anything that you haven't gotten to share yet. But you as a mom, I know juggle so many different hats and do it well. I don't know if you even feel that way, but you do it really well. And I know a lot of the moms, especially at the time that this episode lands, they're probably still trying to recover from the holidays. They're trying to come out of that fog. What is is advice that you would share when it comes to juggling all the things, even if it's not running their own business? But I think moms do feel like they just run around with their like a chicken with their head cut off and they can't ever catch up. So what advice would you give them? And I I'm never too far away from those years as a mom to just gloss over it or or be dismissive of it. I remember those days where Lane comes home from work. He's like, hey, how was your day? What did you do? And I couldn't tell you what I did. Mm-hmm. I didn't take a shower. I know that I didn't brush my teeth. I know that the house is still a wreck. So I don't really know what to tell you. Right. I'm not too far away that I forget what that feels like. Um, and, you know, again, I didn't have the social media piece, but I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give here is 
become a master of time management the best you can in this season. And really what that means isn't managing your time, it's managing yourself. That's what time management is. We can't really manage time. It's happening, you know, whether we want it or not, but it's that management of self. And I think that truly comes down to auditing where your time is going. And is your time going in the places that are moving you forward in the direction that you want for your life as a mom or your, your profession, right? In those different roles that you fill and really being okay with taking away and saying no to the things that don't. I know that as a mom, it's so easy to just say yes to all the things. Yes, I'll be the room mom. I'll be the team mom. I'll be this, I'll be that. Mm -hmm. It's also okay to not do all those things. Because I think a lot of times when we're talking about feeling overwhelmed and, and you know juggling all of these things, we do that a lot to ourselves. You know, I watch- Every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else, which is typically ourselves. <laughs> that's it. And one thing that I really hold as my baseline now is every time I say yes to something, I ask myself, at what cost? Mm -hmm. at what cost is this saying? Yes. At what cost? Sometimes the cost is worth it. And sometimes it is not. So, you know, I, I look at a lot of these moms and they're running themselves into the ground and I'm like, mama, you're doing it to yourself, mm -hmm. right? You're doing it to yourself because your house is a wreck all the time. You've never taken time to pare things down, minimize. So it feels very chaotic to you. You can't keep up with that. Right? So how can you get a better hold on that? Maybe it means you delegate and you bring someone to come in and clean your house once a month. And I know that there's an expense to that, but again, at what cost, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's something that we did, gosh, probably three or four years ago, maybe even longer than that, because it was every Saturday and it's a fight because everyone is pissed off that we're spending half <laughs> Saturday cleaning the house. Everyone's mad. Everyone's angry. And for what? Right. It doesn't mean that we don't still have to keep up with day to day. And we have somebody that comes in every two weeks. But I would literally give up almost anything else to keep that in place. Mm -hmm. because that has helped me to buy back the, those hours, right? To buy back those time, that time. But I think the other thing that we do is we overcomplicate our lives because we see all these other people. So we think we have to put our kids in every sport that's year round. Yes. One the other one from one season to the next, we have to do all these things and we have to live in this big, huge home and we have to fill it with all of these things. And we have to work so hard to manage all of these and it's really interesting being on this end of motherhood, right? And being in my late forties and I look around and think, oh my gosh, all of this stress and all of this pressure that I put on myself, that we would live in this perfectly curated home. And we have the finished basement because I want this to be the place that the kids come to. Well, you know what? The kids trash it. And they wouldn't have cared if we had furniture down in this basement, <laughs> it was finished, unfinished or not. They'd and come sleep on your couch. Most of the time, they didn't even come down into the basement because they wanted to be up where we were, right? So there, <laughs> I've got 15 big swimmer kid bodies in our tiny living room because it's attached to the kitchen and that's mm -hmm. where they all want to be, right? And we put this expectation on ourselves that it has to be this certain way. And I will tell you, we are happier at our little 1500 square foot cabin in the mountains with everything that is there is intentionally put. We don't have too much. We have just enough. We're happier there than we ever are in this big, massive, mm -hmm. you know, estate home. And all of that pressure, I always put on myself to keep it looking like, you know, traditional homes magazine at any point when anyone walked in, there wasn't a speck of dog hair anywhere. And, you know, it, it, it felt cozy and that's important to me. That is, and there's nothing wrong with that. I wanted a nice home because I grew up very poor and it wasn't that we were dirty, but we just had hand-me-down furniture mm -hmm. and we didn't live in a big home. And I went to 
a private Catholic school on scholarship, but I'm going to school with other people who are living in what seems to me a mansion, you know, and I understood how it was when it was time for the kids to come to our house before, you know, the, for the pregame meal and how I felt embarrassed that our house wasn't as big and nice as everyone else's. And so that was something important to me. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. Right. But I think sometimes we allow all of that to really overwhelm us. And so then it becomes difficult to juggle at all. But a lot of that is self-imposed. Your kids don't need all of this and they don't need to be involved in 8 million sports from the time that they can walk moving, you know, one season to the next, the next, they're really overwhelmed by that. You know? And I think that we feel this pressure to do that, but we don't have to. And so I think, you know, speaking from, from this, this end of motherhood, I I wish that young moms would know that, that it is going to feel chaotic. And there are going to be some days where a win for you is that you took a shower and you actually put real clothes on, (laughs) but that span is so quick. And those are just seasonalities to this life as, as a mom. But I think one of the best things that you can do for juggling it all is just to make sure that you're very intentional with your time. You're very intentional to the things that you are giving your time and, and your energy to, um, and that you do become a master of, of yourself, saying no to more things, holding those boundaries, eliminating the time wasters. I mean, I don't, I don't hardly ever watch TV and, and that's okay for those that want to, right? For me, a, a simple pleasure instead of turning on some episode of something is like diving into a good book. And I forgot mm-hmm. how much I love that because your life is full of, you know, <laughs> little kids books that you're reading all the time. Like, oh, wow, I forgot that I actually do like reading <laughs> adult fiction books, right? Or it doesn't always have to be self-help or self-improvement. You can have those little things that are just for you. So, you know, I think understand that you just have to be present where life needs you at the time. And it's never 50% as a mom, 50% as a work or Monday through Friday, work life, weekends, mom life. It all blends together. And you have to look at that from a more broad perspective, you know? And so when I did make that transition to jumping into my own business, yeah, for those years, I was a lot more work than I was mom, but over the long haul, I've been a lot more mom than I have been worth, you know? So I think sometimes we have to kind of broaden that out. And if this season of your life requires your presence in this place of motherhood, that's okay, right? At some point, there's a shift if you want that to be. Um, But there are other times where I've had to say to my kids, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I can't come to this event at your school because I do have to be present for for work and helping them to understand that it's also not always about them too. Mm -hmm. You know, that's hard because you do want to make it all about them. (laughs) Sometimes it can't be. And that's, that's real life, right? That's, and that's okay. And I think that, you know, that was one of the hardest things is, listen, Hannah, sometimes I can't be at every single swim meet. One of us will be, I'll make sure that one of us will always be there, but it may not always be both of us all the time because you do have a sister or I do have a business. And I think she's probably better adapted and better adjusted because of that. Um, You know, just knowing that it's not always about her because we are very selfish, just intrinsically as human beings, especially in that age, you know, absolutely. No, that's perfect. Yeah. I'm so grateful just for everything that you've Uh, shared. I want to give you a chance before we go today, just if there's anything that's on your heart that you want to share with the MWO community, if there's anything you haven't gotten to share yet, um, what would you say to them before we let them go today? And I would just say, drop the mom guilt, you know, things that don't really have any place in this mom life that we allow to, to permeate that is that regret, that mom guilt, anything negative, you just have to let it go. 
really focus on living a life of gratitude and appreciation for what you have and what you did do, not harboring those negative feelings on what you don't have or what you couldn't or didn't do, there's no place for it. It's something that I still battle, right? Being able, having to say, I can't do that, or I'm sorry, I, I, I can't be there for this. You always will have a little piece of that mom guilt, but I think I've gotten so much better in letting that go because it doesn't produce anything positive, right? Nothing positive is going to come out of those negative feelings. So just let it go. And if you can start, and I know you're such a huge advocate of this too, but if you can really start and end your days with those quiet moments of gratitude mm -hmm. and just realizing that you're so hugely blessed, you know, I, I think that that's one of the really amazing thing that, things that have come out of Neely in all of the years we spent in therapy and these rehab centers, right? Three times a week, I would get to sit and, and, and be in a waiting room and look around at all of these other parents moms that are wheeling their kids in because they have terminal cancer and their kids are in a wheelchair and they're coming for physical therapy, right? Or kids that are so severely disabled, they're non-communicative and they're coming for feeding therapy. And as hard as that was for me to watch and as many times as I wanted to just hide and go sit in my car so I didn't have to see those kinds of things, I made myself, right? I made myself sit there so that I could be so thankful for what our journey was, and on those days where I felt life had just dealt me the crappiest hand, I could look around and say, thank you, Jesus. You know, thank you. I'm so, so blessed. And how can I, how can I be a, a light of positivity to this mom sitting next to me, right? Who is sitting with this child whose head is wrapped up because she has no hair because of her chemo that she's going through, right? Maybe it's just squeezing her hand. Maybe it's going across the street and getting my Starbucks, but bringing her something too, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that just trying to start and end every day as hard as they may be as you may end the day in tears. But if you can just take that moment and be so grateful for what you do have and be so proud of yourself for what you did do and not lay your head down and cry. I failed as a mom, you know, we, th that's always going to be there. Flip it around. That's not going to do you any good, right? Be proud of the things that you have accomplished. And I promise you on any given day, when you feel like you have fallen short you have done a thousand times better than you ever thought you did, right? And you have to be okay with that because your kids don't know any better and all they want is you. So if you were there, if you showed up, if you live to tell the story of another day, you did a good job, mama. And you should be so proud of that, right? It's such a beautiful journey and it goes by so fast. And my gosh, I would give anything, anything to go back to those nights where my kids are crying and I have to go in and rock them back to sleep. I would give anything for that now. Like I go in and, you know, Hannah's home, look at her, her big body at almost 21 years old, laying in her bed with her dog. And I see that baby still. And man, I, I would give anything to go back to those moments where she calls out mom in the middle of the night and you wake up and you go in there because <laughs> we've all You're read making me cry. Where, I know <laughs> we've all read that thing where it, there's going to be a last and you mm -hmm. never know when that last is going to be. So you just have to be so thankful for each day that you have and, and just be so proud of yourself and what you did as a mom, instead of constantly being in this space where you beat yourself up and you have regret, just be so proud of what you're doing because you've done so much better than you ever think you were. And in those moments where you feel like you were at your worst, your kids will never remember that. They just will always remember your presence and the love that they felt and the safety and the comfort that you give to them. That's all that matters, you know? So I can't thank you enough for having me on here and letting me kind of take a trip down memory lane and shed a few tears and feel some feelings. Oh my. Um, 
you didn't prepare me for that finale. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I didn't prepare myself for it. It wasn't even written in my notes. <laughs> I'm sitting here over here crying now, but it, it's the perfect ending to an incredible interview. I can't thank you enough. I'll I'll text you after and, and send about a hundred thank yous, but I just appreciate <laughs> you being here. I appreciate the phone calls and messages that you've taken and being a mentor to me, but allowing me to share you with all of them. I know that you probably don't even realize how impactful this episode will be for the moms that are in the trenches and and that are questioning themselves or, you know, maybe feeling alone. It just means the world. So my reminder, as if Stephanie didn't just drop the <laughs> mic on us, and I don't know if y'all are listening and crying too, but um, now I just want to go get Carter from school. So there's that. But <laughs> mama, if no one has told you yet today, you'll always hear it on the podcast. You're doing an absolutely amazing job. If it's been a hard day, if it's been a hard week, if it's been a hard season, I just want to remind you, you're perfectly designed for your children. You're doing incredible. And we will always be here on the Moms Working Overtime podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. If you loved this episode of Moms Working Overtime, do me a favor, share it on social media or send it to another mom to remind her that you love her and that she's doing such an amazing job. There's nothing more incredible that we can do in this community than remind other mamas of their strength. I'm so glad you were here today and just know that I appreciate you an overtime amount.